Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Great. Hey, my name's Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an absolute joy uh, being with each and every one of you. I got a couple of really quick things and we'll just jump right into the message. Uh, number one, we say here at Grace Point Church all the time uh, that our senior pastor is Jesus, uh, but the Bible says under him, uh, he, uh, he puts together a symbol, a team uh, called pastors and elders. And so we are a pastor elder led church here under Jesus. And so uh, we're in a season now where we're taking applicants for new uh, pastor elders. So if that is on your radar, that's something you've been thinking about, please stop out at Center Point and grab one of those papers that look like that right there. It's got all the information. Uh, what the qualifications are, the time periods and all that. So make sure you don't miss that opportunity. For some of you, you're like, well, you know what, Ty? I'm, I'm only going to be here for like two or three years and I'll be out of here. So it's no, no need of wasting my time. You don't know what's going to happen in two or three years. Am I right? Some of you thought you'd be here for only two or three years and it's been like 20 or 30 years. Am I right? It's the place you just can't leave. But anyway, make sure you check that out. And lastly, um, we have our Beyond 2022 campaign. It's gone Beyond 2022. Uh, if you would like to give to that, you have two more weeks this week and next week, so we'd love for you to do that. Uh, even if you don't want to give, there's a few more magnets left on that wall over there. Please stop by and just grab one. Even if you don't give, that's okay. We want you to take that home and have that in front of you so you can pray for our, uh, pray for our partners overseas. Sound good? Sound good? Cool. Let's get started. Hey, um, I want you to do something today, and you're going to love this, or you're going to hate it. I don't know. Uh, I, I want you to do this. I, I want you to identify yourself. Now, I don't mean I want you to stand up and say who you are and that fun stuff. Uh, uh, some of you are like, I would never do that. Uh, but I, I want to give you uh, some categories, and I just want you to, to just say where you fit in these categories. Now, I would suggest not saying it out loud, but if you feel the need to say, that's who I am, then okay, cool, that's fine too. Uh, but I wouldn't, uh, but it's up to you. I'm going to give you two categories. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you are an insider or an outsider. But before you put yourself in that category, I want to explain to you what I mean by insider. I want to explain to you what I mean by outsider. And I want to be re really respectful as I do it, and it's okay. So if you're an insider, that means you love Jesus. You follow Jesus. You exclusively worship Jesus alone. Your life is about Jesus. Uh, you, you want more of Jesus. Like everything is about Jesus in your life. You're an insider. You're inside of the family. You're an heir to Christ is what it says in the Bible. Uh, you will spend forever uh, with Jesus and the family of God uh, in eternity and his blessings forever. So you would identify yourself like, hey, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I am an insider. Okay, you got the first category. The second category, you would say, I'm an outsider. Now, let me explain outsider. Outsider would mean uh, I, I don't follow Jesus, which may mean you're a good person. You may say I'm a spiritual person, I'm a religious person, but I don't follow Jesus. I'm not, I don't exclusively worship Jesus. I really don't even know what I worship. I don't know much about it. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm inside this family. I'm kind of outside this family. I, I really don't even know what I am. But you would say that you're an outsider, and please don't hear that as, uh, as me kind of putting you down or anything like that. I just want you to know where you are at. And the good news is, if you say, well, I think I am an outsider, the good thing is that Jesus came to take outsiders and bring them inside him, all right? All of us, before we met Jesus, were outsiders as well. I just want you to know where you're at, okay? So are you an insider? Don't say it out loud. Are you an insider? Are you an outsider? Do you have it in your mind already? Give me a little head nod if you do. Cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. Okay, cool. All right, so if you're an outsider, I, I want you to just keep listening. Uh, I just want you to listen to this message. I want you to process this message. Uh, and I'm, pr I'm praying for you as we, as we do this. Uh, but if you are an insider, I want to take it one more step. And I want to know how you identify yourself as an insider or how you kind of view yourself as an insider. So I'm going to give you some character or caricatures, however you want to say it, of insiders when it, when it comes to how we live 
looking at outsiders, okay? The posture of your life, how do you view the outside world or outsiders? Make sense? And so I'm going to give you a handful of them, and at the end of it, I want you to say, hey, I most identify with that. Sound good? You're like, I didn't know it was going to be this interactive. Well, there you go. (laughs) The first one is, you would say that you're kind of like a monk. You know what a monk is, right? Someone out in the desert, someone just totally avoid of everyone around them, uh, isolated, insulated, and all that kind of stuff. And, and maybe you see your Christian life like this towards outsiders of like, hey, I don't want anything to do with outsiders. I don't want anything to do with non-Christian things. And so you have somewhat created a Christian bubble in your life. It's only Christian music. It's only Christian television. You only watch like Fox News. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, you, you, like, you only do like Christian-like stuff. Even to say, like, hey, uh, name, name like five people in your life that don't. Uh, some of you are going to get stuck on that. But name five people in your life that don't know Jesus, and you're like, I, I, I don't know, Alice Cooper, uh, or I don't know, whoever. I don't know why. I think he does know Jesus. Anyway, but like you would say, hey, I'm kind of take the posture of a monk, okay? Let me give you another one. So you say, I'm not a monk. I'm more like a chameleon. Meaning, I just, I blend in. Like if I'm here at church, praise the Lord, thank you, God, let me pray. Like you blend in here. But when you leave here, uh, when you go to work or school or whatever world you're in, your family maybe, you blend in there as well. And there's really just no difference between you and, and the people that you are around. So much so that like if you were to uh, talk to someone at your work or your school or in your community or your family or whatever, and someone would say, yeah, that, that dude or that gal is a Christian, they'd be like, really? I didn't know that. Why? Because you just, you just kind of blend in everywhere. Maybe you say, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not either one of those. Well, maybe, maybe you would consider yourself the protester. You're the protester. Like the monk is separate uh, but neutral, but you as the protester, you are just against everything. You rage against the outside world machine all the time. Uh, You see the world through the lens of good and bad. And so when you think of being an insider, when you think of church stuff, you're like, good. When you think of anything outside of the church, you think of as bad. And so, you know, when it kind of comes to your mind, it's like movies, bad. Music, bad. Fun, bad. Like everything's just bad. Like, you know, fire, bad, or whatever it is. Like, it's just bad. And you may have good intentions with this, because like you read the Bible, it says, avoid what is evil, cling to what is good. And you're like, that's just what I'm doing. But like, here's one way you know you're a pr- protester, and I love you, and I'm going to say this, and I'm just sorry. Uh, you are boycotting everything. You read an article, or someone did the FWD, like it's got FWD like 10 times in there, and said, Target's now supporting this, or Starbucks just changed their cups, and they're like, oh, we got to, you know, Disney's bad, or whatever it is. You're always boycotting something, right? Okay, you're going to love this message. Let me give you another one. (laughs) This is going to be great. Uh, Let me give you another one. Tourist. You would just consider yourself a tourist. When it comes to the outside world around you, you're like, I don't have a home anywhere, so I really just don't care about outsiders in the world or people who don't know Christ because I'm, I'm just always on the move. You really don't stay anywhere very long. And part of that is because of your occupation. A lot of you in here are military. You're like, hey, this is the way it is, man. Every two to three years, I've got to move somewhere. And the idea is like, I never put down roots to even care about a people group around me. Uh, and, and I would say this, be careful if you kind of consider yourself that, because if you're not careful, you'll just, uh, you'll see Las Vegas, and I've said this a hundred times, you'll see Las Vegas as a layover city. You know, like you're flying from New York to LA and you got to stop in Chicago. Uh, you don't care anything about Chicago. You're just in the airport. You're not going to, you're going to recharge your phone, download another episode of whatever you're binging on Netflix, get a soda, get some chips and move along, right? Uh, if not careful, we see Las Vegas or the community around you that way. Uh, and I would really, uh, I would really caution you against that. Because you're like, I'm only going to be here two or three years. That's two or three years of your life. It matters. 
Some of you so far are like, I'm not any of those. This last one I'm going to get you. Are you ready? You're the white rabbit. You know, what, what was the white rabbit saying? Alice in Wonderland, if you don't know. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's a story. What's, what, what is it? I'm late. I'm late. It's like, what, what's the heart of the white rabbit? Always in a hurry. The thought of you as an insider, thinking about outsiders, thinking about people knowing Jesus, thinking about the world around you, you're like, I ain't got time for that. I'm always busy. And so it's like, it's not that I'm separate. It's not that I'm against it. It's not, I'm just, I'm just not even thinking about it. It's nowhere on my radar. Uh, Eugene Peterson said it like this. He says, hurry is a form of violence practiced on time, but time is sacred. Sit in that for just a second. Hurry is a form of violence practiced on time. That's probably most of us, the white rabbit. Now, for a few of us as insiders, a few, maybe you out there, you would say, no, I'm not any of those things. I am, the last one, a missionary. All of my life is about seeing people come to know Jesus. I leverage my conversations that way. I leverage my time that way. I leverage my resources that way. I leverage everything in my life So because I want to see People come to know Jesus. Put that list back up one more time, please. Which one are you? Don't say it out loud, please. But which one are you? Well, there's three of them anyway. Do you know which one you are? Do you, do you kind of have in your mind which one you are? Give me a little nod. Give me a little nod. Do this if you don't care. No, I'm just kidding. It'll, just hurt, it'll hurt my feelings. Don't do that. But you have the heart of Jesus if you are a missionary. Why? Jesus is the greatest missionary ever. This is not our text, but I want to read a few to you. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what a missionary would think. Luke 5, 31 through 32, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinner to repentance. Today we're continuing our everyday missionary series where we're just going to look at what does it mean, what does it look like to be an everyday missionary? What does it look like in our life? Because the reality is, if you are an insider, if you are in Christ, you, by default, are a missionary sent by the greatest missionary ever, and his name was and is Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said it this way about being a missionary, and I love this. If Jesus is precious to you, is Jesus precious to you? If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your, the good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it into your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friends. Without the charm of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a total silent tongue about him. Oh, Charlie Spurge, put it down right there. Okay, so what, what's the Bible say about this? Go to uh, Colossians chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend our time. Colossians chapter 4. It's in your New Testament. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible here at Grace Point Church, our Bibles are very, very important. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. We want you to have one. If you don't have one, if you don't own a physical one, we have them in English and Spanish on the front tables out at Center Point as well. If you've got a smartphone, you can download uh, Uversion. It's an app there. If you click events, uh, you'll see Grace Point Church pop up. All my notes are in there, and you can kind of follow along. So Colossians chapter 4, a little bit what's going on in Colossians. Uh, Colossians was a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, a guy who was a terrorist against Christianity, hated Christians, hated Jesus, and wanted all Christians to die. Well, Jesus like not having that. Uh, uh, saved him, and now he's like, oh, I love Christians, I love Jesus, and he starts planting churches. He actually didn't plant this church, another guy did, uh, but uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was led to write a letter to this church, 
Uh, if you look at the beginning of Colossians, it's all about the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is God and, and everything should be about Jesus in our life and that God is sovereign all of, all, all, over all of our lives. You keep reading in Colossians a little bit, a little bit more. You start to get the practical stuff of how our uh, husbands and wives are supposed to respond to one another, how are uh, parents supposed to lead their children and employer, employee and all the different things like that. And then he gets to this, um, this, this, this section where he says, if you're an insider... This is to be your posture. This is to be your, your uh, identity. This is to be the way that you are to care for those who are outside. And so that's where we're going to start. Um, what does it look like if we are an insider? How do we respond to outsiders? How do we interact with outsiders? Because insiders must go outside and, and, and share Jesus with outsiders so they can become insiders. Does that make sense? How else will they become insiders if we don't go outside to outsiders? Paul's going to help us with that. So we'll be in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Are you there? All right. Are you awake this morning? Cool. Verse 2. Continue, so he's been talking for a long time, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So the, so the first place that we have to go when it comes to insiders interacting with outsiders or changing our attitude and hearts towards the outsider, the first place we go is, number one, it is communication with God. What is a simple way, uh, or what is a word we use for communication with God? What is it called? Prayer. prayer. Pastor Tim, if you missed last week, Pastor Tim preached on prayer, and it was phenomenal. But I, I'm going to continue, because I don't think as Christians we can hear enough about prayer. Uh, and so uh, he, he's telling us right here to continue steadfastly in prayer. And so I, I want you to hear this when it comes to outsiders coming to faith in Christ and becoming insiders. From beginning to end, it is all an act of God. God must do something. That means we go out and we share the gospel and we, uh, we proclaim the gospel and we demonstrate the gospel and we love people well and all that and we give them the right words and we give them the right message and we can do a lot of things to help them. But can we save people ourselves? Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> Only God can save. The, the, the reality, all we're doing is when we share the gospel, we are handing people lightning rods and, and we're asking God to strike lightning. We are putting kindling around their heart, and we're asking the God of fire, strike that fire. Am I right? We still have a responsibility to share the gospel and a responsibility to demonstrate the gospel to people, but only God can save. Why is that? Don't miss this. Because people are not becoming religious. It's not like they're going from irreligion to religion. We share the gospel with them, and like, oh, cool, I want to be religious too. Or that people are non-spiritual and now they're becoming spiritual. Or people are bad people and becoming good people. That's not how it works. You know what we, you know what we are before we meet Jesus? Anybody want to help me with it? Ephesians chapter 2, what's it say? What are, what are we before we meet Jesus? Dead. We're dead. And Let me ask you a question. What can dead people do? Speak, they're really good at being dead. Nothing. A dead person can do nothing. So... God is the one who's going to do something. So if God is the one who's going to do something, God is the only one that has power to save, then what should we do? Pray. Go get them, God. Go save them, God. Bring them back to life, God. Help them, God. Get this word to them, God, and bring life to them. We must start praying. Now, how should this prayer be guided? What does it look like? How, do we, how does it look like? Look, look back at verse 2. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What does it mean? It says, continue steadfastly in prayer. That means don't stop. 
And when you do stop, what should you do? Should you do? Keep going. When you're praying for people who do not, if you're an insider, we should be constantly be uh, praying for those who are outside. We should be constantly praying for those who do not know Christ. And when we stop praying for them, we should restart and pray again and pray again and keep praying over and over and over. Why? Is God reluctant? Uh, Richard Trench said it like this. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. You understand that God wants to save people. Did you, did you know that? I don't feel like you're convinced of that. I, I, I've, been, I've been a Christian half of my life, and so I'm 46 years old. Some of you are like, really? I thought you looked like you're in your 60s. Yeah, life's been tough. It's been tough. Uh, 40, I've been, I'm 46 years old. I've been a Christian for 23 years. So that means I've not been a Christian the first 23 years of my life. In over 23 years of following Jesus, I've seen my mother-in-law commit her life to Christ and be baptized. I've seen my father-in-law, I've seen him on, uh, a few weeks before he died, uh, surrender his life to Jesus. I've seen multiple nieces and nephews. I, like, I want you to understand this. I come, for some of you, of, of you that know me really well, I come from a very not Christian family. And so when I met Jesus, my, my heart was, I, I want them to know Jesus. I understand what's at stake here. Life and death, eternity with Christ and his blessing, or eternity without Christ in, in his wrath. I want my family to know Jesus. And so I still have a mother and father that have not surrendered their life, as far as I know, to Christ. This is urgency to me. This is of most importance to me. And so I want them to, and so over 23 years, I've been praying and praying and praying, and, and my family is becoming more warm to Christ, more warm to Christ. Why? Because God wants to save them, save them. It's what he says in verse two. He says, when you do this, be watchful with thanksgiving. This idea of watchful is this. When you pray, God save them, God's like, great, now go tell them, because I'm going to use you as the instrument that saves them. Do you understand that? Are you okay? Because sometimes you're like, I'll just pray about it and then walk away. No. If you're praying about it, be watchful what God is doing. Be, be on the lookout of what he's up to. Some of us really struggle with that, though, because we really don't think God is good. We have this idea of karma in our mind that, that God is only good when we are good, but if we are bad, then God is bad. He doesn't want to hear from us. That's why many of us really struggle to follow Jesus well and why many of us struggle to pray is because we've done something really dumb or something really wrong or something really bad and we think now, well, God's mad at me. God doesn't want to hear from me. God's just going to make bad things happen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Are you his son? Are you? Are you his daughter? He's good to you no matter what. He's good to you. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11 about the father. What father among you, if his son, if his child asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? That's horrible. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Do you, do you get the idea? If you're his child, he's not going to like just, I mean, there's discipline involved sometimes, what parents do to kids, but he's not going to like be, be evil to you. If you then, who are evil, us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so be watchful. Like, God, I pray, I believe you're going to do something. 
And so we're watchful. Like, God, are, are you softening a heart? Are you giving me an opportunity, an on-ramp to have a conversation with them? Or, or, or should, I, should I go there and be with them there that way because they're, they're kind of warm to you now and maybe they'll hear the gospel there and that's when God's going to save them? Be watchful and thankful. C.S. Lewis said this, and I love this. He says, I have two lists of names in my prayers. Those who, whose conversion I pray and those whose conversion I give thanks. See, he has two lists. The little trickle of transference from list A to list B is a great comfort. In the back of my Bible at home, I have names, the names of people I pray for all the time. And some of those names, I put a star beside. And if you have a star beside your name in the back of my Bible, that means you don't know Jesus. And the greatest joys over the years I get is when I take my ink pen and scratch, scratch that star out. And then I start, and instead of praying for their salvation, I pray for them to walk with Christ, walk well with Christ. What if you were to start a little list of all those around you that don't know Jesus, and over the years you get to transfer that list because Jesus is going to save people. That's what he does. Go with me back, back to the text, verse 3. At the same time, so he's going to give us a little bit more, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. So he's praying for opportunity to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Interesting fact, Paul's in prison for the gospel. What is he asking the church to do for him? Pray for him, right? He's like, hey, pray. Give me some opportunities while I'm in prison, wherever you're at. I'm in prison. Give me some opportunities to pray for the jailers and the, you know, the warden and all of them. I, I, I want to pray for them. I think it's interesting too. One of, the, one of the guys who comes out really bold in the New Testament is Paul. Like Paul just seems like a really bold dude. He is asking for the church to pray for him to get opportunities to be clear. This guy's a theolo theological giant. Be clear and to be bold. What does that tell us? We need prayer, right? Like we need people praying for us as we share the gospel, as, as, as we pray for other people uh, to be saved. Now, I want to tell you how the New Testament, this letter works. When Paul would write this letter, it would be sent to the church in Colossae. Someone would grab the letter, un unroll it, and then they would read it over the church. So the idea is when you read the Bible, it is for you individually for sure, but it's for us collectively as well. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pause, middle of the message, and I'm telling you that because you're going to think I'm going to say amen. I'm like, oh, we out of here. Nope, I got more. Um, we're going to pause in the middle of this message and we're going to pray together because that's what our Bible's telling us to do. And we're going to pray by name in our minds, or you can pray out loud, I don't care. We're going to pray for people in our life right now that don't know Jesus. When's the last time you prayed for someone that, doesn't, that don't know Jesus? Some of you are like, I, I don't know anyone that doesn't know Jesus. This is your prayer then. Father, forgive me. It's confession. Father, forgive me. I, I, I don't know anyone that doesn't know you. Now, please give me a heart for those who don't know you. Some of you right now, I asked you at the beginning if you're insider or outsider. Some of you would say, I'm an outsider. Then here's what I want you to do in, in this. Watch us pray. We talk to the Father. We depend upon the Father. We know that He's the one that does, he does everything. And if you're interested, why not, why not a prayer to God and say, God, save me? If you're an outsider, just God save me. He's, he's faithful and just. He will do that. And so I, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then I'm just going to stop praying, and it's going to be an opportunity. If you're where you're sitting, you can maybe you're with a family member or a friend or whatever, and you know the same people, you know, get together and silently pray or whisper prayer, or however you want. I don't care how you do it. 
We're going to pray for those who do not know Jesus. Sound good? Some of you are like, this is weird. Love this. Let me lead us in it. Father, your word says to pray. You are the one that saves. And so right now, we, as, a, as a, a family, we are coming to you as a good father that, that, that does save and that has a care and a heart for the last, lost, and least. And so right now as a family, we lift up to you those who do not know you. We pray for them. Would you save them? And would you give us opportunities, undeniable opportunities, to share you with them boldly and clearly? Lord, hear our prayers now. Just pray right where you're at. Oh God, hear our prayers. I pray that we, we, we pray, give us hearts that expect you to save. Give us opportunities to speak. Give us opportunities to share, to love, to care for people well. We pray that we come back in a week, two weeks, a month, and just hear a report of many people being saved and give you all the glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. What we just did is we called out on the God of the universe, the one who can actually do something, the one who can take death and bring life. And so trust that he will do that. Now, back to our text. Uh, you just started, and look what happened. It says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. All right, so we, we just started. For many of you, that's the beginning. But what, what should we do now? Continue steadfastly. Don't stop. Like, like keep praying for those in your life to know Jesus. All right, so number one, communication with God. Number two, communication with outsiders. You, you're going to have to talk to people. <laughs> so you're like, I don't want to. Well, you're going to have to. All right, verse five, Colossians 4, verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom, and here's our word, toward outsiders. I love that the Bible uses this language. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. And so the, the idea when he says walk, it's like that's how you live life. Like, like what your life looks like. like. Like tangibly, practically, physically walk. How you walk. It says walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And he also says making the best use of your time. And that one hurts because we waste so much time on things that don't matter. Am I right? Or is it just me? That's why we use the terminology binge-watching something. That's why Netflix puts that little uh, cursor on there that it fills up real quick if you don't push a button to start the next episode. No one's like, nah, I don't want to watch anymore. Like, let's keep going. It's telling me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, all right. So we waste a lot of time. He says, walk in with it. Like, live wisely. What is, wise, what is a wisdom? Wisdom is not just right and wrong. Wisdom is um, knowing what God's word says, and applying that practically to our lives, okay? 
So don't just think, I got to figure out what's right, what's wrong. That's a lot of black and white there. And when you look at God's word, there's a lot of gray area. Am I right? You ever read the book of Proverbs? Lots of gray area right there. And so it means to walk wisely about, uh, as we walk with outsiders. Live wisely. Why? Because your life is saying everything. Just is. It is what it is. Especially when people know that you're a Christian, they're waiting for you to mess up. They're waiting for you to do something wrong. They're waiting to go, aha, like, you know, or something like that, right? And so uh, it basically, I think what Paul's saying right here, that our walk really opens the doors for our talk. And our walk, if we're not careful, can really mess up and slams the doors for our talk. It can. Because let's just be honest. By the way you live your life, and I'm not asking for perfection. That's not what I'm, I'm not saying. Be perfect. I'm not saying that at all. But um, the way you li- live your life, is it opening doors or closing doors? I mean, for decades, for a long time, the church has been giving the subtle and sometimes not so subtle hint that we talk a big game, but we don't walk it out. We've been representing God And the perception we give outsiders is this. We represent God, and here's the perception. I want you to hear the perception that outsiders get from our walk is this. God is judgmental. God is a racist. God doesn't care about the community, doesn't care about the city, basically just wants people to go to hell. God doesn't care about the lost, the last, the least, the oppressed, the the, uh, abused, and the poor. God is of a certain political party. Man, that's a big one. That burns my biscuits right there. Like, like, one, like one, one group gets like, oh, God is ours. And a bunch of godless others. Like, that's, that's so dumb. We give off this vibe that God doesn't forgive that sin, whatever that sin is. God is only for certain kinds of people. God only uh, loves those who have their act together. We put that vibe off pretty good. God can't save you because you're too far gone. God can't be trusted in times of needs. Why? Because I see Christians in times of need run to everything else but God. Run to everything else. Like, why would I trust in God when you're telling me to trust in God and you're not trusting in God? You're trusting in the bottle. You're trusting in self-help. You're trusting in whatever to get you through this tough time. Why would I trust in God? God is private. God must be private because you've never said his name at all. God is materialistic and vain. You Christians say that God provides you with everything and all that, but man, it looks like you care more about the stuff you own, the stuff on you and how you look than you do about those without, than those without Christ. God doesn't matter because you just don't talk about it anyway, so just save yourself. This is the vibe I think Christianity is putting off. We put this off. Gandhi said this, you're gonna hate a Gandhi quote, but Gandhi says this, I like your Christ, I just don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. See, what outsiders need to see often before they hear a word from us is that we are for them. Why? Because every human being is created in the image of God. I don't care if you dislike what they're doing and their sin nature and sin patterns, that's why they're outsiders but they're created in the image of God, deserving of dignity and deserving of us having a posture that is for them. Why? Because God is for them, not their sin. 
He is for them being redeemed. So we should be for them. That means we have a posture that says this, that we love the unlovable. Why would we love the unlovable? Because that's who we were, the unlovable. We persevere in times of trouble. Why? Because we have faith in Christ. We commit to our marriage vows. Why, Christian? Because marriage is important. Have you ever noticed the Bible begins with a uh, marriage and the middle's a lot about marriage and at the end ends with a marriage? You ever notice that? You ever read your Bible? It's one of the, it's this. It's, I, man, my sarcasm matter, meter is way, I apologize. We see our, our children as gifts and not as little curses and we care for them and we want them to know Jesus as well. We care more about them being in Christ than them being in the NBA, MLB, or what other professions are out there. And we put resources and time and energy behind it. We forgive other people when forgiveness doesn't make sense in the moment. We invest deeply into the church. We don't see church as just an event. We see church as a family. Why? Because the Bible tells us that we are the hope of the world Christ through us. Do you believe that? This is the vibe we need to be putting off. We quit, we quit judging non-Christians. Did you know your Bible says don't judge them? Right? You remember that one? <laughs> remember, remember? Remember that? Yeah. We make lots of mistakes instead of hiding them and covering them up and all that kind of stuff, which the cross has already outed us as sinners. Why not own up to it, admit it, confess, and repent of it? Instead of Christians, are we just hide? We're going to put a good image of. No. Show them that Jesus is your Savior too. See, we, we want people to see Jesus in everyday ways. We want to reflect him in everyday ways. And we have a message to tell people. Look back at verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open the door, or op- open to us a door for the word to declare. What's the phrase right there? The mystery of Christ. What's the mystery of Christ? Can you summarize the mystery of Christ in one, one word? It starts with G, ends with ospel. It's the gospel. The gospel is a word you see over and over and over. It's like shorthand for the good news of, of Jesus. You know that good news that Jesus came and God in the flesh came and lived perfect life on our behalf and died sacrificially on the cross and three days later came back to life defeating sin, Satan, and death and 40 days later ascending to the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning and promising one day that he will return and take up his bride, take up his insiders, take up his family and be with him in bliss forever and ever and ever. It's good news, isn't it? good news. But that's, the gospel is not just in the Bible. You see, you see the word gospel before the New Testament. The, the word gospel is just, it's a word. The word gospel uh, was carefully chosen as good news. It means news in a, of an objective, history-changing event. That's what gospel means. Like when someone tells you that something good, they'll say, that's the gospel truth. That means it's true, true. It's like really, really true. It's objectively True. It's a, it's a historical true fact. Uh, for instance, um, first century Roman Empire, Rome was all over the place. And you know, they'd switch out Caesars all the time. And when you get a new Caesar in, they would say, this is the gospel of Caesar Augustus or whoever. And so when you had a new Caesar come in, they would uh, dress everybody up and, uh, and, and go herald this news. Imagine someone in tights uh, going out with a trumpet going, doo, 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 doo. here's the gospel. of." And so it, it meant that this was an objective history-changing event that we would get a new 
uh, a new Caesar. When Jesus comes, this is Jesus. This is God coming in the flesh. That is an objective, history-changing event. I mean, we ain't got to put tights on and run around the streets for that one. But it's true. If Jesus is God, it is the greatest news ever. If Jesus can come and forgive you of your past, present, and future sin, and that there will be resurrection to where you can conquer sin, Satan, and death because of his resurrection, that's an objective, history-changing event. Do you believe that to be true? Let me try one more time. Do you believe that to be true? It's true. If it's true, then why are we not telling people about this? Why are we not heralding, minus the tights, of course, but why are we not doing this? Like, if you had the cure for cancer, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm good now. I ain't got cancer, but I'm going to keep this to myself. How much do you have to hate humanity to, to keep this to ourselves? We've got something better than the cure for cancer. Sin is the greatest cancer of all. Now, we have something better. We have the mystery of Christ. We have the gospel. This is the good news. And so we need to share the gospel. So we need to use some words. You're like, well, Ty, how do I use these words? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 6. Some of us are like, wait a minute. Some of us are like, it's so intolerant. Everything you're saying is so intolerant. Don't, be, don't, you know, don't go and force. Don't go and share. Don't go and try to persuade other people uh, uh, you know, to, to trust Jesus. Do you realize we're all evangelists? Like every human is an evangelist. Are you, am, I, am I right? You, you ever been around someone, me, when uh, I watch a new movie or a show or something like that? What am I doing? This is the best movie ever. This is the greatest thing ever. Or, you know, uh, remember, the, um, remember the rules to Fight Club? Rule number one, you don't talk about Fight Club. Rule number two, you don't talk about Fight Club. You ever met someone who just started CrossFit? First rule of CrossFit, tell everybody you do CrossFit. Or like a person who's like plant-based, vegan, or I don't know, whatever, you eat tree bark. And they're like, first rule of it is tell everybody you're plant-based. Like, we're all evangelists. And so uh, it's intolerant for people to not let us share this good news because everyone's sharing good news all the time, what they think is good news. Anyway, I digress. Verse 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love, he talks about, let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. All right, let's, talk, let's look at that. Gracious means you allow the grace you receive from God to fill you and, and come out of you in all ways, not only your words, uh, but I think we should look like gracious people as well, that we have a welcoming and warm look on our face to help people invite people into conversation. Again, Charles Spurgeon says this, I think it's hilarious, but it's Charles Spurgeon. I love a minister or a missionary or a Christian whose face invites me to make him my friend. A man upon whose doorsteps you read, welcome, and feel that there is no need of warning, beware of the dog. Some of us on our face like, beware of the dog. Give me the man around whom children come, a man who has no genealogy about him, but better be an undertaker and bury the dead, for he will never succeed in influencing the, the, the living. Be gracious. He also says... Uh, seasoned with salt, meaning we need to have salty language. And some of you are like, I got that down. I'm salty. Uh, But what does he mean by salty? Well, salty means to be winsome. Some Christians, uh, there's a big thing right now with Christian pastors, like they don't think the gospel should be winsome. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Uh, Winsome. It should have humor. It should have flavor to it. 
It, 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 it should, like, there, there's a heaviness and a light. There, there's, it should be interesting. The gospel should be interesting. You ever been in one of those situations or heard one of those situations or been around someone in one of those situations? Like you're talking to them, and it's like talking, 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 you're chopping it up, and everything's cool. You can see the body language is loose. It's all good. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, I need to share the gospel with you. Step one to the gospel. You must repent of you. It's like, wait, when did you, like, when did you turn into a robot? Like, what happened? That's what he's telling you not to do. Or we use like heavy church Christian language to people who have never been in the church. We're like, well, it's just like the good book and Ephesians said. And they're like, Ephesians? What is that, like a fish? Like, what is, like, what is that? Praise the Lord. I mean, like, they don't know what this stuff is. Um, so it'd be seasoned. And when seasoned doesn't mean preserved, because the best way you preserve the gospel is share the gospel, but it means to, uh, to add flavor. David Garland said it like this. Seasoned with salt refers to witty, amusing, clever, even humorous speech. Their saltiness will prevent them from being ignored as irrelevant, irrelevant bores. Godliness is not to be equated with stodginess. Flat formulas or lifeless platitudes do not capture the gospel's excitement. It must be palatable with a savory combination of charm and wit. Or as old J. Pipes says, John Piper, he said, when food is not salted, it tastes is bland. Its taste is bland. People don't want to eat it. It's unappetizing. Our speech is not supposed to be like that. When we're being gracious and when we're being salty, people will lean in. They'll do it. They'll lean in. And that's your clue to stop talking. Someone was like, I got to get through this presentation. No, 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 no. Like when, you, when you're with people, stop talking. That's why I love he uses the phrase so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Did you catch that? What do we know about each person? Each person is different. And how, how will I know they're different? You stop talking and listen to their story. One of the greatest ways to evangelize, the greatest way to share your faith is to listen to their story. Their story will give you clues. Their story will give you on-ramps. You'll see what they're trusting. You'll see the brokenness in their life. They'll see the greatest fears and dreams and hopes, and you can just weave beautifully the gospel. You know how I know that? Because you've got a story too. And if you'll think about your story a little bit, you can see how Jesus just interjected himself all along the way. And you can start doing that with other people. And listen, your gospel presentation becomes whimsical. It becomes normal. It becomes conversational. You don't have to be offensive. Some of us, we think to share the gospel, I've got to be offensive. And you've got to look at somebody and turn or burn. Or, you know, walk, walk in the room like, you smell that smell of burning? It's going to be you. Or like something like, we don't, why? The gospel is offensive in and of itself. The gospel is basically saying you can't save yourself. And we're, as Americans, we're like, I'm an American. I can do anything. No, you can't. Yet, it's hard to salt your speech with the deliciousness of Jesus when you haven't been enjoying the taste yourself. It's hard to be gracious to others when we don't pause long enough to enjoy the grace of God in our own lives. See, one reason we're not, inter to, one reason we're not interesting to outsiders when sharing the gospel is because we're really not that interested in the gospel ourselves. So what should we do from this message? I'll give you two things. I'll land this plane hard. Number one, 
share the gospel with yourself. That's a good start. Just share the gospel with yourself. Start reminding yourself of how good Jesus is to you, insider. Remind yourself how you became an insider. Remind yourself of the grace of God that Jesus loves you. Remind yourself that you're the child of God. Remind yourself of these things over and over and over. That's why our liturgy here, which means the work of the people, our gathering here is, is remind. We remind ourselves. That's why we say these call responses. Rehearse. When we come here together, we're rehearsing the gospel and then respond. During you, now or communion, we're responding to the gospel. Share the gospel with yourself often. Rehearse your testimony, your story of how you met Jesus. Number two. Talk to God and outsiders. You got to talk to God about this. That's what our text said pray. Just pray. God, save them. God, give me opportunities. God, show me how to walk wisely. God, help me walk wisely. God, let me know some on ramps. God, let me shut my mouth and listen a little bit. God, let me do these things and go talk to outsiders. It's really not rocket surgery. It's really not. I'm going to end with this John Piper quote. It's a long one. Bear with me. From time to time in the life of the church, there needs to be a wake up. That's what this is. We've got to wake up. Too much at stake. There's got to be a wake up call to some simple and central and basic things. One of these is Christianity is a converting religion. It is evangelistic. It is persuasive and expansive and missionary. It is not coercive. It does not use the sword, manipulation, or brainwashing, but it does proclaim and persuade and plead and pray. And where this is not believed in practice, Christianity ceases to be Christianity and starts to become another religion with another king who no longer says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. When we lose a passion to see people won over to Jesus, we lose Jesus. Christianity is a soul-winning, outreaching, mind-persuading, heart-entreating, rescuing missionary faith, or it is not true Christianity. We need to be reminded of this because it is almost incredible how listless we can become while calling ourselves Christians. Little by little, our whole orientation can become inward. We can go for months and years and not think about those who perish. We become so dull and spiritually callous that we don't even ask if we believe in hell or lostness or the preciousness of Christ and the power of the cross and the freeness of the gospel and the command of Jesus. We just go about our in-house religious business like a medical clinic that sees fewer and fewer patients and has more and more staff meetings until there's nothing left but a smooth running program for the doctors and nurses and their families. This is what happens to many churches. Grace Point Church, it's about to change. There's going to be a greater seriousness and passion for the lost. It's going to become very uncomfortable. And for that, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, disrupt us. Father, wake us us up from our slumber. Father, remove comfort and convenience if necessary. 
Father, open our eyes to see the last, the lost, and the least. Father, soften our hearts to where they break. Father, give us opportunities. Father, give us clarity and boldness to demonstrate and to proclaim. Father, empower us to walk in such a way that people want to hear about you. Father, rattle the foundation of this church to where we can no longer be complacent. We can no longer and sit idly by as people march into hell. Wake us up. I pray, God, that the enemy trembles at this. I pray, God, that you would get all the glory from us, help, from this. Help us, empower us, lead us for the sake of the mission and for the name of Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.